Some of you, maybe all of you, have heard the expression that uh, a believer is the only Bible that some non-believers are reading. Of course, that is true. And that has an implication that we dare not forget, and that being that we are being watched. As Christians, we are constantly being watched by persons who are not yet in the faith, persons who are not yet redeemed. They are watching us all the time. They are watching our attitudes, our conversations, our spending of money, our bill paying, our treatment of store clerks, our attitude about races that are different than our own race. They watch our use of time, our work ethic, our ways of doing Christmas, our treatment of the elderly, our treatment of the disabled. Oh yes, they watch us. They watch our optimism or our pessimism. They watch our pride or our humility. They watch our kindness or our unkindness. They watch our time for them or our lack of time for them. They watch our authenticity or our hypocrisy. They watch our respect for other person's property or our lack of it. They even watch our yards and our houses and how they are either maintained or they are left unmaintained. Oh yes, they watch us. They watch our neighborliness. They watch our kids' boyfriends or girlfriends. They watch our house parties. They watch our political expressions. They watch our sharing. They watch our manners. They watch everything. And so don't be deceived and do not be naive. They watch our parenting, they watch our children, they watch our marriages, and they even watch our funerals. They watch. And one of the most noteworthy things that God would will that they would see as they watch us is the concept of submission. Submission. Submission is a concept that is often misunderstood even amongst God's people. Submission, therefore, needs biblical definition. And our submission needs to be illustrated to be sure that it properly is applied in our lives. So let me start with a definition of submission. Submission is the voluntary action of standing under another person who has God-given authority over us. Submission is the voluntary action of standing under another person who God has given authority over you. When one scours the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, you will find that submission, voluntary submission, is all through the whole of God's word. Such as Noah submitting to God by building a huge boat and Ruth submitting to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Jeremiah submitting to God in a bizarre commands, apparently, which the Lord gave him so that he would be an object lesson to the people to whom he prophesied in Israel. Or Hosea submitting to God by marrying one who God said would become a prostitute. Or David submitting to King Saul as long as Saul was king. Or Joseph and Mary submitting to the angel who told of Jesus' miraculous virgin birth. Or Daniel submitting to his superiors who were in the Babylonian civil service. And of course, the most supreme example of virtue, any virtue, 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus submitting to his father in undergoing John the Baptist's water baptism. Jesus submitting to his father's will relative to dying on a cruel cross. Jesus submitting to his father within the Godhead and the Holy Spirit submitting to God the Father and to God the Son within the Trinity. Submission is all over the Bible. And some of the ways that we as believers in Jesus are to submit are to submit to God the Father as provider and protector, to submit to God the Son as Savior and Lord, and to submit to God the Holy Spirit as controller and power, to submit to the Bible as the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God, to submit to governments which punish evil and which reward good, to submit to those who have charge over us in our workplaces, to submit to one another as believers, wives to submit to their husbands and less than fully grown children to submit to their parents, and all believers who go to a church to submit to their pastors who keep watch over their souls. And so we can see that there are many to whom we all owe submission. And from this point forward in 1 Peter, submission is going to become a major theme of the epistle. Something that God wants us to understand is big and not little. Primary and not secondary. Commanded and not suggested. And so here in our passage for today, submission as a citizen is considered in verses 11 to 17. And submission as a worker will be considered in 2 verses 18 to 25. And submission as a wife will be considered in chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. And submission as a local member of a local assembly will be considered in chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Submission is a big deal. And for this morning... I only want us to consider what the word of God has for us by way of instruction to submitting to government as Christian citizens for the sake of the lost. For our role and responsibility as Christian citizens to submit to government because lost people are watching everything. It is important for me to show you that although government per se is not mentioned in verses 11 and 12, we get the context of government in the verses which immediately follow. Verses 13 and 14, 1 Peter 2, verses that follow our passage for study today. 13 and 14, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one who is in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And so verses 11 and 12 are on the front door of the context of the order to submit to godly, earthly, human government. And so the verses that we're going to... Look at with intentionality in these moments, verses 11 and 12 have the following big idea. The idea to put in your purse, ladies, as you walk out of the sanctuary. The idea men to put in the breast pocket of your suit or your shirt. The big idea of verses 11 and 12 is as following. As citizens, we are to submit to government authorities for the sake 
of the lost. And before we go any further, we must qualify that the Bible commands Christians to submit to a certain kind of government, not a political stripe but to a certain quality of human government. And the government that we are to submit ourselves to is the government who rewards good and punishes evil. The government who rewards what God says is good and punishes what God says is evil. That's the kind of government we are obliged to submit to. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should not submit to human governments that flip those things. We should not submit to human governments who reward what God says is evil and who punish what God says is good. There's several verses in the New Testament that teach us this important truth. The two verses I read for you just a moment ago, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one who is in authority or to governors sent by him, watch it, by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That's the kind of government works to submit to. Romans 13, 1 through 5, teaches the very same thing. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Oh yes, God tells us that we are to submit to governments that reward what God says is good and punish what God says is evil. That's the kind of government to submit to. When a government of any stripe, of any political persuasion, of any label, punishes what God says is good and rewards what God says is evil, we are not to submit to that government. We are to have civil disobedience. That's the principle. Acts 5 Verse 29, civil disobedience is as old as the baby church. The church was born in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, and by Acts 5, they already had to have civil disobedience, the apostles. Acts 5, 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And so there is not only a place for civil disobedience in the life of a Christian, there's an obligation for civil disobedience in the life of a Christian under a government that punishes what God says is good and rewards what God says is evil. And so in the 1940s, the Christian church in Germany and Europe and the world should not have submitted to Hitler's Nazi regime. In the end of the 20th century in South Africa, Christians should not have submitted to government which promoted apartheid. 
the separation of blacks and whites and treating them with inequality. And in this 21st century, in America and Canada and worldwide, Christians should rebel against same-sex marriage and abortion and euthanasia, the so-called mercy killing of the elderly or the disabled. And now we're ready to look at the big idea of 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Again, the big idea of these two verses. As citizens, we are to submit to governing authorities for the sake of the lost. Actually, our citizenship, if we are saved, is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, written by the Holy Spirit through the incarcerated Apostle Paul, said to them and to us by extension, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If I had asked you to bring your passports last week to this morning's service, and you all brought your passports, if you looked at the front cover of those passports, there'd be nations like Honduras and Canada, the United States and Great Britain, and there'd be other nations represented in our, our congregation. But if we all, as Christians, flipped our passports from the front page and turned them to the back page, figuratively speaking, you would see that your citizenship is a shared citizenship with everybody else who knows Christ in the room, a citizenship in heaven. That's where you're a citizen. That makes you and me tourists. We're tourists. Like all those wonderful thousands of people came off the cruise ships and will come off the cruise ships in port. And the people who come to the airport off the airplanes, they come to our, our Bahama land as tourists. They're visitors. And they should behave. Although they're not on the soil of their country of citizenship, when they come to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, they should behave themselves. They should abide by our laws. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're tourists here on earth. And as tourists here on earth, we should behave ourselves. We should be good citizens. We should submit to human governments that reward what God says is rewardable and punish what God said is punishable. Our visit here on earth should be marked by obedience and purpose and faith-saturated daily living. Hebrews eleven eighteen 18 and following say the following. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. At that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, 
without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that great? (laughs) What a prospect. We are citizens of heaven that'll have a new Jerusalem as capital city. And we are tourists here on earth. Tourists that ought to obey the laws of the land, be purposeful in our testimony for Christ, and have a faith-saturated way of life. Now, with our citizenships being in heaven, we have to face the fact that right here, until we're home to that city, we are to fight our inner war with our sin natures. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Will you notice that this whole contention, this whole fight is a war. It's not an episodal battle. It's not one little battle, you win it one little day and you're done. Our war with our flesh is ongoing civil war will only be won experientially as we see Christ face to face and we're made to be like him either through the rapture of the church or through physical death. And so until that glorious day, we fight our inner war against our sin natures by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the verse puts it, abstain from fleshly lusts. And we ought to notice, as I said, this war is a war, and this war is waged against our souls. Against our souls. The next thing that we ought to notice from our passage is that we live our Christian tourist lives because our citizenship is in heaven. We live those tourist lives on earth before the Gentiles. Still, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are watched. And the persons that are watching us in this passage are called the Gentiles. This, in this case, is not a certain race or a certain ethnicity. It is a category. The Gentiles in this context means all the lost that know you. All the lost who watch you. There may be people here today who are lost in sin. You don't have to leave that way today. You could understand the magnitude of your sin, the greater magnitude of Jesus Christ's love, sacrifice, and shed blood, and you could transfer your trust to the finished work of Christ right where you sit this morning. You don't have to have entered here as an unbeliever in Jesus to leave here still as an unbeliever in Jesus. But in this context, 
We are to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that is, among persons who are not yet born again, persons who are still rebels against God, people who have not heard the gospel in some cases and other people who've heard the gospel and rejected it. We are being watched by those people. Now, there's something that we dare not miss is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ's name his person and his work either makes a person mad or glad. Ever notice that? You can talk about religion. You can talk about ritual. But when you talk about your Jesus, it either makes a person mad or glad. That's how it is. Jesus Christ is the watershed, the pivot point of all human history and all of mankind from time past. He either makes a person mad or glad. You may say, but you know, the Bahamas, there's so many Christians in the Bahamas, Pastor. Really? Really? Which Christ are they believing in? The one that will make them rich and carry them to heaven in a Mercedes? Well, that's another sermon. Jesus either makes you mad or glad. In verse 12 again, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the, in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Most lost people are not neutral about Christianity. Most Lost people are against Christianity. And what does that opposition to Christianity look like? Verse 12 tells us. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Watch it now. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. How does opposition to Christianity look? It looks like slander. It sounds like slander. It sounds like speaking bad of Christians. It sounds like speaking bad of churches. It sounds like persons without Jesus Christ who are opposed to Jesus Christ calling our Christian good evil and calling us Christians evildoers. You doubt that? Let me give you some examples. Our good, we say no evolution, they say ignorance. Our good, we say no gay marriage. They say homophobic. We say mission work to the world. They say coercive. We say opposition to abortion, and they say hatred to women. We say gender established at birth, and they say repressive. We say Bible in schools, and they say brainwashing. We say spanking, they say abuse. We say Christ's person and work, and they say fairy tale. Fairy tale. And so unbelievers in Christ call our good evil. They slander us. And in the face, of all this slander, 
how are you to live? In the face of all this slander, how am I to live? In the face of all this slander, how is the incredible body of Christ, Calvary, Bible Church, Nassau, how are we to live? Well, it seems to me from the text, we are to live in at least five ways. In light of the slander that we face by lost people, first, we are to live as submitted citizens of heaven. I see that in verse 11 and then in the two verses following our passage for today, verses 13 and 14. We are to live as submitted citizens of heaven and our submission to heaven is to translate into a submission to proper human government. And so the first way we are to live, given that we are going to be slandered, given that we are being slandered, the first way for us to live is as submitted citizens of heaven. The second way that we are to live in light of slander is that we are to live as persons who abstain from our own lusts. We must be believers, according to verse 11, we must be believers who are abstaining from our own lusts. People watching us are checking that out. Is she a lustful person in ways that I know about lust? Or not? Is he giving in to cravings that I give in to and I'm not even a Christian? We are to live in light of slander as persons who abstain from our own lusts. Third, we are to live as persons with excellent behavior. Not good behavior. That's not good enough. We are to live as persons with excellent behavior. Verse 12 again, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Our behavior is a, ought to be a standard above other persons' behavior who aren't in the family of God yet. Our behavior, which is of an excellent quality, should be as persons who do good Deeds, persons whose lives are characterized by doing good deeds. Persons, if someone took a sample core into your life experience, drilled into your life experience for your whole life, they could pull out the core at any point of your life as a Christian and see good deeds. That's how we're to live, given we're slandered. More, we are to live as persons who bring glory to God. It says that in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When these unconverted, lost persons come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in their day of visitation, when the Spirit of God draws them to Christ and they're born again just like we're born again, they'll be able to say, you know what? It was the glorifying to God deeds and interactions with him that God used to draw me to salvation in Christ. How do we live 
in light of slander from the lost. We live as citizens who are submitted to authorities, governmental authorities, for the sake of the lost. For the sake of the lost. And so the passage gives us five ways to live. Given that we're slandered by people who don't like Jesus, given that some governments are worth submitting to in the eyes of heaven and other governments are not worth submitting to in the eyes of heaven. And so I'll read again our two key verses, 11 and 12, 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. To wrap this up, I trust that you believe me when I say that plenty of persons are watching you each day. I hope you buy into the fact as truth that plenty of people every single day of the calendar year are observing our church body to see if we're real. And do you know what one of the primary motivations is to watch our individual Christian lives or our church family as a whole so they can have an excuse to reject Jesus Christ and the church? That's why they watch. They are watching us so closely because many of them want an excuse to reject Christ. They want an excuse to reject this church. You doubt that? I don't know if it's this bad here, but I know a Christian friend who heard the clanging of his garbage pails in the middle of the night and he went outside his yard and here was a strange guy, stranger he didn't know going through his garbage can. He wasn't going through the garbage can for something he could use or something he could eat. He was going through the garbage can when the homeowner asked, what are you doing, man? He says, I'm looking through your trash to see if there's anything uh, to discredit you as a Christian. A numbers house ticket. Pornography. Beer bottle. They're watching us. Or I think about the fella who got, the Christian who got on a bus and he paid the fare and the driver gave him more change than he deserved. He didn't know that until he walked to the back of the bus and he sat down and he checked his change. He goes, man, he gave me too much change. So he walked up to the front to the driver and said, excuse me, sir, you gave me too much change. The driver said, oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I was trying to see what you would do with it. They're watching us. Or the guy who knows we're a Christian comes to us and says, you know, life could be a whole lot more easy for you if I did this for you. It would be about 50 bucks. I'm told that happens a lot in the Bahamas. You are aware that there is a church, and I use the term very loosely, a church 
of Satan. Satanists who worship Satan. And they have conventions for Satanists just like pastors have conventions for Christian pastors. And the Satanists go to these conventions and among other things they pray for is that our testimonies for Christ will be so shabby that no one would ever come to Jesus because of us. Of course, they also pray for the destruction of marriages, the mistreatment of children, lack of integrity in the pastoral office, broken down marriage covenants. They pray for all this stuff. By the way, that begs the question, are you praying for me? Are you praying for the other pastors? Are you praying for the deacons? We have an opponent. We don't see him behind every problem in life, but we have an opponent, a roaring lion devil who prowls like through the trash can to seek whom he may devour. They watch us. And so today, the word of God has taught us that as citizens, we are to submit to government authorities for the sake of the lost. Do you like that? Neither do I. What does a Christian convey to the person who's not yet a Christian when they talk way more about their hatred for that than they do about their love for Jesus. What does it convey in talking with a lost person if we rail against some political party in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas more than we talk favorably about Jesus? What should a lost person think if we say way more about what we think of President Trump than what we think about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We are to have a good testimony because after all, people are watching all the time how we drive on the roads, how we tip at the restaurants, how we speak to our wives when no one's aware that, when we're not aware they're listening, what they hear through the windows of our houses, they are our neighbors and they hear, what do they hear through the windows of our houses? We're being watched. By God's grace and for God's glory, we have been implanted with the powerhouse that can make our consistent, genuine, bona fide living for Christ possible. It's the Spirit of God. But if we try to live out a Christian testimony without the Spirit of God empowering it, we will fail. It is not will we fail, it is when will we fail.
But if, on the contrary, if we say, we get out up in the morning and we say to the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, fill me and control me, my mind, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my heart, control me, then we have the resource necessary to be consistent with a good testimony for the Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your clarion call to us to represent you well. To live as submitted citizens of heaven who are submitted to government on earth. To live as persons who abstain from our own lusts and to live as persons with excellent behavior. To live as persons who have lives that will leave a legacy of glory being brought to your name. To live as citizens who are submitted to governmental authorities for the sake of the lost. Help us, Lord. We know that when we pray for that help, we are in the center of your will. For you desire us to be imitators of Christ, to resemble him in all spheres and opportunities and responsibilities of life. Bless this church family, Lord. May the good reputation for Jesus that this church family has known since 1962 be furthered and enhanced and never depreciated and subtracted from. Be honored and glorified in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. For we pray this, grateful for these directions and the power to live them. In Jesus' name, amen.